This is the Scots Bass Lessons Podcast and I am your host, Scott Devine. This podcast is brought to you by the Scots Bass Lessons Academy, the number one online learning platform for bass players that want to take their bass playing to the next level. Hey guys, how's it going? Scott here from Scots Bass Lessons again and I'm here today with episode number eight of the Scots Bass Lessons podcast. I can't believe we're on number eight already. We're burning through these, aren't we? Um, We're actually planning because... Most of the interviews that you've heard up until now were recorded out in LA. Um, we did, I think we did 12 when we were out there, and we're just obviously we're on number eight now, so we've only got a few more to go until the end of this season. And then, but right now we're planning our next season, which will be recorded down in London. We have got some London guys involved, but we've also got some some other guys coming in from other countries to be involved in that as well. So it's going to be a super super cool season and it's going to be an intense week of filming and recording down in London as well. I'm just, uh, I've actually got Airbnb open right in front of me because we usually use Airbnb when we're doing this kind of thing. Airbnb guys, how, if you haven't checked these out, check them out, Airbnb. That's a free plug for Airbnb. Anyway, I'm here with episode eight of the SBL podcast and today we've got the one and only Juan Alderetti. Um, and Juan has played with guys such as the Mars Volta, um, Big Sir, and then way back in the 90s and 80s, actually, Racer X with Paul Gilbert of Mr. Big. Um, I was super into Racer X when I was a kid. So what I'll do, actually, if you're listening to this anywhere else other than scottsbasslessons.com, just shoot over to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode eight, and I've put some videos of Juan playing with the Mars Volta, Big Sur and Race Rex for you to check him out. And I've also put some important links as well because Juan is a, a demon with bass effects. In fact, he has a website completely dedicated to effects. Uh, the link is there on the, uh, on, the, on the forward slash episode 8 to take you straight over to his website as well so you can check it out. So if you are into effects, you know, you should go and check it out because he really is... A, an aficionado, that kind of thing. Aficionado, can I use that word in that context? I think I can. Anyway, if you're listening to this on iTunes, guys, I'd love you if you would subscribe and leave a review as that helps get the word out about what I'm doing with the Scots Bass Essence podcast and just, you know, helps people find out about what we're doing here. If you are completely new to scotsbassessence.com, make sure you go to scotsbassessence.com forward slash toolkit and you can download lots of free goodies like a modes um a modes guide where i take you through how to practice the modes and just you know try and get rid of that confusion that a lot of you will be going through with the modes if you're just starting out or you're just at that intermediate stage of your bass playing life um what else is there there's a backing track library in there a ton of other stuff i remember if you're an academy member you can also watch the entire video version of this interview as well if you're not an Academy member, make sure you go over to scottsbassessence.com and check it out. In a nutshell, it's the best online learning platform for bass players in the world right now. There's step-by-step courses, live seminars every week where you can ask some of the best teachers in the world questions in live, real-time. Guys like Ed Friedland, Todd Johnson, uh, Zoltan Dekany, 
uh, who else we got? Steve Lawson. We've got a ton of other people. Phil Mann's teaching in there, and tons more. Anyway, you can get a 14-day free trial, so just shoot over to scottsbasslessons.com and check that out, and hopefully I will see you on the inside because there's a great forum in there as well that I'm super active in. Anyway, so without further ado, let's get into episode eight with the one and only Juan Alderetti. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm here with Juan Alderetti, bass player for a multitude of different artists, and we've just come to hang out in your it's your studio, isn't yes. it? In LA, we're here doing um, some really cool interviews, and Juan was uh, kind enough to invite us into his world. And as you can see, his world, we'll get a few clips of these. There's some serious pedal porn going on here, essentially, and Juan's going to be telling us all about that, his background, his history, how he got into... I'm actually really interested in how this happened. You know, uh, yeah. There must have been some sort of like point where you know <laughs> the addiction kicked in. But just before we get into that, I've just got to tell you that it is like hotter than the sun in this room. It is, and Juan's probably like used to it, so if I start dripping, it's, you know, that's why. Right. Anyway, Juan, yes. right, you know... Everybody knows that you're, you know, you've been bass player for some killer artists. Like for me, like the Mars Volta is, you know, I just loved it when you started playing with that band. And it's like some of the team, we've all been watching the Mars Volta clips on YouTube and stuff like that. But rewind right back to, you know, when you were obviously like a kid thinking about getting into instruments or, you know, how was, what was your, what was the sort of like vehicle or whatever that got you into music and, and especially the bass? I think, I think it's because some dudes I was growing up with, wanted to start a band and they didn't have a bass player. So I was like, I guess I'm playing bass. You know, because yeah, like one yeah. dude was already on guitar, the other dude was already on drums. I'm like, all right, I'll do bass. So it's kind of that, but my dad also is a huge jazz fan and he, for some reason, his favorite instrument was bass, upright. Yeah, and yeah. so he would always yell for me to come downstairs and listen to Ray Brown solo or Rufus Reed or whatever. And did you and, get into that? I mean, I because I, he would always go, listen to how he's making it talk. He would always tell me that. You can hear the wood. And I just like, I didn't know what he meant. And then eventually you understand. But like, I, I thought it was cool. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I was already into the low end element of it. So I thought, cool, you know. And then when they were starting a band, I go, why not? Why wouldn't I play bass? You know, my pops is always, you know, into it. So, yeah. And, you know, and I, I thought too, it'd be probably easier to get, to be the best guy in the school Oh, but yeah, yeah, if yeah. I play bass because there's a million guitar players yeah, and there's yeah, no yeah. bass I'm like well then I'll just rule it and so you know sure enough within the first year I smoked everybody in the school <laughs> then I went to college I smoked everybody there then I went to Musicians Institute and I was you know I, I wasn't like I'm not the best for sure in any way but I definitely was the fastest at that time because that's what it was about in the 80s yeah, yeah. and I was the fastest ripper and so it kind of was like that that thing I just wanted to always be the best and so you know, I think that's really what got me into it. that. And then my brother, I have an older brother, was way into like bands that had a lot of musicianship, whether it was Yes or Emerson, Lake and Palmer or King Crimson or, you know, he had oh, so like many. Great, great band. Yeah, he yeah, had yeah. a lot of prog in his thing. So he was always blasting that and I'd listen to that. And then my whole family, everybody had their own music. My sister, my oldest sister, she was into more pop, like Queen, Elton John, that stuff. Like, And I love that. Yeah. And then my Sister, right, just older than me, she was into new wave and punk, so I got all that from her. And then my little brother was into hip hop, and I grabbed that from him. And then my thing, I guess, was probably, you know, mostly like new wave, and then and then that kind of morphed into like rock because I had my rock bands that I liked. I wasn't a big metalhead, yeah. but I liked the ACDC and I loved Van Halen. Those were my yeah, two yeah, bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then 
And then hip hop, once that came in, I was like, that's pretty much all I listened to. When I was in Racer X, that's all I listened to was. Really? Yeah. 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 Back then, because I, I, you know, when I met Paul, um, we needed a car and I bought my little brothers and he had a lowrider. Yeah. And I always was just ride with my little brother and he'd be playing like very early hip hop. Like groups like Nucleus, which was a very old one, or Africa Mbata. We'd so he we cruise around listening, and so I just kept listening to hip hop in my lowrider yeah. when he sold me his car. So then that's all I listened to. Run DMC's first record, and then I just like even though I listened to other music, I mean that was definitely the thing I listened to more than any other genre. And this was when when you were in MI music. Yeah, music. I was yeah. like I was listening. I was I had to listen to the shred and stuff because I was in a band that did it and I wanted to know what people were up to, but I never loved it. Right, it was yeah, yeah. never my music. What what was my music was definitely new wave and hip hop and, you know, and some early like 70s rock or whatever, you know, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but I'd have to say that it just hip hop just hit me like I was just like I don't know. It was my punk rock, so to speak. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And was there any point that, like when you were in MI when you were doing it was Racer X, obviously. Right. And when Juan talks about Paul, it's Paul Gilbert. Yes. You know? Yes. When you were doing that, was there any ever a point where you just thought, you know, especially like now you're saying that hip hop was your thing? Was there a point where you just thought, I really need to leave what, what I'm doing and, and do the hip hop thing I think, more? Or? You know, I'd never really been in a a band that was actually doing anything. And so Racer X, everybody's so cool in that band. Like the singer Jeff, yeah. Scott Travis, you know, when he was in it, Harry was the original drummer. Everybody, Paul, everybody was so cool, so nice. And so it was well, you a pleasure. You were students together. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Bruce and I lived together. He was the other guitar player in Racer X and we lived together. And so when you have friendship, like it makes it easy to be, even if I'm not, you know, I was listening to Killing Joke while I was, you know, rehearsing with Racer X. So yeah, those yeah. are two different types of music, you yeah. know. But I, you know, right before I was in Racer X, I, my band sounded just like Killing Joke. Like I was like, I wanted <laughs> to be in Killing Joke. Yeah, yeah. And so it was just one of those things. And then I just, I never owned an Ingve record. I've ever, it, people shoot me, but I never owned a Sabbath record. <laughs> I never owned, uh, I don't know, like whatever metal. Like I owned a couple of metal records. Don't get me wrong. Like I owned a Guns N' Roses record. And, yeah, yeah. And Van Halen, I, I don't really consider them metal, but um, I never owned a Kiss record ever. I never owned a Motley Crue record. That just wasn't my thing. You just ended up playing bass because you were killing because bass. Because I player. could rip. Yeah, so Paul, yeah, when Paul yeah. met me, he goes, oh, you can play anything I can play, but on bass, and I've never met anybody who can do that, you want to join my band. And I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm here to make a living at yeah. this, so let's do this. And did you guys get signed when you were in MI? Yeah, Paul had already had a deal, but he needed to assemble a band. So yeah. I was the first dude that was brought in, and then Harry, the original drummer, and then Jeff was in another band in Arizona, and he sang on it. And then Harry had to go back to Austria for visa reasons, so then we got Scott Travis, who plays drums in Judas Priest now. Yeah, yeah. And then Br Paul wanted to separate himself from Ingve and all the other shredders, yeah. so he thought, why don't I add another guitar player who shreds as hard as I do? Yeah. And we'll have a duo, we'll be the best band in the world <laughs> yeah, type yeah, yeah. mentality. So him and Bruce were ripping, I was ripping, Scott was ripping, and then we had to throw vocals. There was vocals a lot of ripping on. going on, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah, then yeah. we had to throw vocals somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. But uh that was that that was the mentality back then, and that was what we were at. Like and you know, like if we if we wouldn't have done this like kind of momentum, upward momentum, I would have quit. But when I joined the band, it was like Second show, more people. Third show, more people. Fourth show, sold out. Fifth show, sold out. And we were like this. And I'm like, this is it. This was is how it works. There was noise happening about it. Yeah. yeah, I was like, this is how it works. This is how I become a musician for a living. I was like, this is a sh you know, awesome. Yeah, and yeah. then 
Oh, we don't like your singer. 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 Band like like breaks up. Oh, really? Yeah. That what happened? Yeah. Yeah, they just didn't like Jeff, our, vo- our singer. I mean, I, I've had, you'd be surprised on how many guys called my phone, because I did the business. Yeah. So different guys, like Gene Simmons called my house. Like, I lived in East Los Angeles, and here's Gene Simmons calling my yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, you know, I picked it up, and I was on the line with Paul. And I How old are you at this point? I was 21. Yeah, so it's pretty weird having Gene Simmons yeah. on the phone right And now. so, so I, I pick, I, I'm on the phone, and it's when you had to click over. So yeah. I clicked over, and I went, uh, I, I, mean, I, I hold up, Paul. I clicked over, and I go, hello? And he goes, uh, John Alderetti? And I guess it's Gene Simmons. And I go, can you hold on a second? Flip over, I go, it's got a thunder on the other line. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> Paul starts going, what? Call me back. So I click over again. I go, hi, Gene. He goes, uh, just have a really quick conversation with you. Um, love the band Racer X. Hate the singer. Get rid of the singer. I'll give you a record deal. And he hung up on me. Really? And that was it. That's all he said. So I was, it was just some funny stuff. Uh, but, what happened? Did, did, you, you didn't get signed to his label, no? We never got signed to any label, but Shrapnel, which was our indie label. Yeah, that Mike put Barney. Out, yeah, Mike Shrapnel, Barney. Yeah, so yeah. he put out the first two racer truckers and a live record and then we got out and tried to get another record deal we yeah. had like peter paterno is a big power lawyer he's like dr dre's lawyer guns and roses yeah, yeah, yeah and he couldn't get us a deal he's like i'm sorry man i did everything yeah and then you know paul got into mr big and then we started a new band and as in our troubles with that uh scott took the judas priest gig so then bruce and i ended up finally getting a record deal yeah with the screen, that was right, okay, that was yeah, finally yeah. when we got a major label deal. But. And was that? Did you sort of like go? You met in MI, and then you obviously like left MI, and it, did it keep on going sort of like for a few years after? Or was that all within when you were? At no, it was after. So like it was after, after, like yeah. Paul, like we gra- Paul graduated by six months before Bruce and I did. Then Bruce and I graduated at the same time, and then by the time we finished graduating, we were already gigging and selling out venues. Yeah, and then we broke up in eighty. Somewhere in 88 or 89. 88, I think. And then 89, we started The Scream, what would become The Scream. And then through all that, like John Karabi was our singer, and then Motley Crue stole him, you know. Bruce yeah. and I tried to maintain. We, we went, you know, because I, I you know, again, The Scream was just a way to try to, like, get a record deal. So we designed it to sound like what everybody else was doing. It wasn't what I yeah, wanted to, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You then, still wanted to play hip-hop, right? Yeah, well, you know, and then by the time The Scream... When Motley Crue took John Karabi, I told Bruce, the guitar player, I go, look, this next thing we do, it's got to be more what I want to do. It has to be. Yeah. So then the next record we ended up doing, we worked with Mario Caldado Jr., who did the Beastie Boys record. Um, we had Money Mark, who played in Beastie Boys at the time. He played on a record. It was We worked with the Dust Brothers, who were hip-hop producers. We started doing more like hip hop meets, kind of like how the Beastie Boys introduced instruments on Check Your Head. We yeah. were kind of doing more of that. And I was like, this is kind of this something is, what yeah, I want to yeah, do. Yeah. And then we put this whole band, had a record deal, and the whole label came to the showcase and they were like, dropped us the next day. Like, <sighs> oh, we don't want this. this is, where's that rock band? Yeah, yeah. We yeah, were yeah. done. And so, so you were like, came pulled back to the, you know, the race race yeah. days almost. So yeah. that's pretty much like takes you from like right from MI all the way up to, you know, my time playing with any member from Racer X. After yeah. that, you know, Bruce and I went our separate ways, yeah. and that was it. What was it like in MI? What was your experience like as a young guy going to school, music school? You know, what was that like? Was it, you know, were you ready for it? Were you? Did you find like a super positive experience? What was it about? Yeah, that I mean, it was hard you? though, man. I didn't get a really good experience in the sense that that I I couldn't study a lot because I was already in Racer X, so 
Yeah, Paul that's was, what I'm interested in. Yeah, like, Paul was showing you, yeah. me this music that I'd never played before, and I had to master it. So yeah. like, I spent half my time shredding, and then the other half studying, like sight reading or music theory. And it just took a hit on my what I what my agenda was because my agenda was to get better and get more work. Yeah. yeah. And then, but I like I'm I had to play Scarified, so I had to sit there forever to play Scarified or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, like yeah. you had to sit there and practice shed for like. Hours and hours. I mean, I literally back then I played, I'd wake up at six in the morning. We'd rehearse at 6.30 in the morning till like nine because that's the only time the room was available. Amazing. So Paul and the original drummer, Harry and I would meet at 6.30 in the morning at MI and rehearse from 6.30 to nine. Yeah. And then go a whole day of classes yeah. and then go home, eat, and then go over to Paul's house and shred and listen to music. And, and how many, like, was that for years? Yeah. I was for like, the first year, and and then of Bracer X, and then the second year we had we all got our own apartments in different areas, and Bruce and I lived together, so Bruce would be shredding, and so yeah. I would shred some, but I started backing off. I didn't want to shred as much, and he was doing fifteen, sixteen hours. He had Paul to live up to, you know. Yeah, so he yeah, was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. You know, he he practiced so much, he ended up with tendonitis. He blew his hand out, you yeah, know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. he's better now, but like he, you know, it was just like it was just so competitive yeah and we wanted to be you know like the next van halen is how we saw it like we'll be the next van halen did but. that get your chops together do you think it was that experience that really it got it? a certain type of chops together yeah shred chops yeah technique yeah, yeah. they didn't get music theory or musicality up and I did mean, you get into music theory I did. I did. I, you know, I just didn't get enough out of it. Like I got into chord substitution and that I thought that was really awesome. I was like, whoa, what is this? Like it just like I was (laughs) like going, this is, you know, like one is to play over chords, but to play, do chord substitutions and then dudes would solo and they'd, well, I'm implying this. And, you know, you start going, what? This is crazy. And then you realize this is the only way you'd be able to do this is if you submerge yourself in this for years yeah, and yeah. i was like i'm not doing that i'm playing rock yeah, yeah i'm gonna go in bands and hopefully go tour and i'm like well put the books away just that's it you really sort of like yeah yeah, yeah. you focus yourself i mean i graduated but thing, i yeah. knew i knew i wasn't gonna use it i knew yeah. it because i didn't have what it took to debt i also i'm a late dude so like you know if i had grown up from nine or ten studying music and sight reading and then got into MI, I would have ruled it, but yeah. I didn't. I was like, I started playing when I was like 15 or 16, and I never sight read. It was just learning how to play the instrument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did it by ear, yeah. Yeah. And, and so sort of like, yeah, so you went through MI, the race tracks. What happened? Like, how did you end up playing with Mars Volta? Let's do that after we take a break. <laughs> <laughs> You're sweating, and I got to drink some water. <laughs> Dude. Like when you were coming up as a bass player, what were your main influences? Where did you like draw upon, and what do you think is, if you were to sort of like point at a few players who really like moved your bass playing and sort of like really got ingrained in your style, who would that be? I mean, I think I think that's one of the things that people always maybe would not guess wrong, but whatever they may think I have a certain guys that I'm into, but um, like and and it changes because you're a kid and and your life evolves, and so. What is your favorite? Like, I don't have like a dude who is maybe Jamerson is probably the only dude that's like pretty much been an influence through everything I've ever done, yeah, and that's yeah. just because when I was a kid, my 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 uh, my cousins used to listen to so much Motown, and I would just I just loved just ingrained in you, yeah, yeah, it just is. And then and then um, of course I love Jonesy, so Led Zeppelin would 
I'm sure everybody who listened to Zeppelin record had to say he was an influence. Yeah. And Whistle was for sure super into the Who. Um, and then, you know, as it evolves, you know, it definitely was influenced by Jocko. But later on, like, I wasn't into him and Weather Report and stuff. Not that I say I'm not into it now, but I did, I just, it was over my head music and I was still in rock. Yeah. And it wasn't until the 80s that I started really getting into him. Um, but Jocko definitely was. Mick Karn was one. Um, later on, like in the 90s, I started finding his music. And I'd heard of Japan, but like I loved Dolly's car and the way he played Fretless on it. So huge influence on me. Just like, just such unbelievable originality in his playing. You know, Peter Hook, Joy Division, of course. I was a humongous U2 fan. I saw, really? yeah, yeah. I saw U2 on their second tour in the United States. Yeah. They played the Warfield Theater in San Francisco. Huh? Is that when they did Red Vox? So that was after. Before. Was that before, yeah. Yes. It was October tour when that, you know, it was like oh, right. yeah, yeah, they yeah. had just started touring on October. And I, I, that was one of my favorite concerts in my life. Still to this day. I was One of those life-changing moments. Eventually, yeah. I stopped liking you too. Like, I, I, you know, like, I liked the first four records and then it would be hit and miss, but they'd still put out something like, oh, that's cool and... You know, whatever. But I loved Adam Clayton's just simplicity. Um, Killing Joke, again, I had mentioned earlier, but Killing yeah. Joke was a huge influence on me. Um, but Van Halen, Eddie, was a big influence on me in all the shred. Like, I didn't listen to any shred or bass players. I listened to Eddie. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you get stuff from different instruments. And then uh, and then it just keeps growing. Like, it just evolves over time, you know. Like, I, I, I'd have to say, I, if I go back to anybody, it's always Jamerson. It's always John Paul Jones. Uh, it's Jocko. It's Mick Karn. Um, David Sims, who plays bass in the Jesus Lizard, was a humongous yeah. influence on me. Um, Did the fretless come think from from come from Karn? Because uh, if I was like, if I just sort of like picture you, I picture you with the fretless. I don't. It's just you know. It was Jocko, but I didn't know how to. I was like, I knew. I kept going, man. I'm, I'm learning how to play fretless. I think I'm sound pretty good on it, but I kept thinking like but I'm not going to do fusion. Like yeah. I don't want to do fusion. How am I going to use this? And I had, you know, found his Joni Mitchell records. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. But I'm like, but I'm not going to do that kind of music. Like, what am I going to do with this fretless? And then Mick Karn came along and then I was like, oh, new wave, that's bingo. It. And then yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, Big Sur was like our interpretation of maybe like Joni Mitchell's Jocko record mixed with Mick Karn and Dolly's car. And, and then, maybe with a little bit of like whatever was happening at the time, but hip hop, cause we, it's a lot of drum loops. Yeah. So yeah, it was all that. So we, you know, I, I really kind of formulated my fretless sound. And I really believe that my, my strongest voice as a musician is in the fretless. It's not in fretted. Um, cause fretted, that's, yeah, when you were playing with the Mars Volta, you know, you I used a lot of fretless in Mars Volta. Yeah. 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 And is it, would you say that that's sort of like your, you love really, is that you? You know, you kind of grab When I pick it up, if is that I, what you hear in your head yeah. when you're listening to it? But, you know. If I grab the fretted and I started playing, you guys are like, all right, cool. And if I started playing fretless, you guys would be like, whoa. That's what Yeah, I've had like yeah. really good jazz musicians hear me play and they'd come up to me and they go, that's your voice. Yeah, like, yeah, they'll yeah. just, or you need to play that all the time. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's that's that thing that I, I don't, I didn't grow up playing jazz, but that's that thing that they're all looking for is a, Whatever it is that is your soul, your voice, when you put it out to the world, and mine just happens to be fretless. I just, it's just not unfretted. And, and do you, like, if you say you're, you're playing a fretted on, on, a, on an album, is that a choice? Is it your choice? Or just, do you sometimes just think, this really needs a fretted? Or 
Is, does somebody say, you know, do you want to try fretted on that? I, when, when we were doing Mars Volta records, you know, Omar, if I if I wanted to try it, he'd let me. Yeah. And then, you know, if, sometimes he would be into it and sometimes he wouldn't. Because they, they don't play fretless, so they can't envision what it would sound like. And I also don't, you know, I did this one recording with this guy, uh, uh, what's his name? Hula Shaker singer, Crispian Mills. Crispian Mills, wow, yeah. yeah I yeah, played yeah, on some fast. stuff yeah, with yeah, him yeah. and with the drummer from Portishead. Yeah. And I brought out the fretless, and they were like, whoa, like, Clive and Crispian were like, I don't know. And then I said, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and Mario Caldado Jr. was the, doing this, producing the session. And he goes, No, let this kid do it. He's like, It won't sound like what you think it's going to sound. Yeah. And so I played it and Crispian was listening to it. And he goes, You know, he goes, If it had any more vibrato on it, I would have said no, but it has the perfect amount. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, like I, I started getting to be known as a guy who can really have a sound with, with, with the, the fretless, yeah. yeah. And sure. Do you play? Do you think about, or do you just approach it just like playing the bass? It's because some guys when they I play feel like I'm playing. Really... I feel like I'm playing cello. I feel yeah, like yeah. I'm the most. I got the most expressive instrument in the world in my hands. That's how I feel. Like I yeah. play it, and everything comes together. Like hand pressure, everything. The articulation just kills the, the fretted instrument. So limit, limited. Fretless is, w- and you can play fretless. And make it sound like a fret. You just got exactly. a good that, intonation. That's my point, yeah. yeah. You know, you can, some guys, when they play a fretless, actually sound like they're playing a fretted, unless right. they don't want to. And, then and there's a lot of like, dudes yeah. who play too much fretless sound, like too much vibrato. Too vibrate. much vibrato. drives me yeah, crazy. Yeah. I hate <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It drives me nuts. I, I'll use it when it, you need to, but it's not something that I'm like always going, wank that vibrato. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm just like, it's a different head. It's really like vocalizing your bass. You yeah, know? yeah. When when did you get into the effects? Talking about sort of like vibrato and you know and, and this kind of thing. When did you get into the effects? Like, um, when did that, that was that was probably like I, in Racer X. I used two effects. I used the TC Electronics chorus, the old big one, yeah. and I used a Boss compressor, CS2 compressor, yeah, yeah. and um, that was pretty much it. And then when I got into the like nineties, I started using more effects because. Um, just into it. And so I yeah. OC2, the Boss OC2. And then I got my first Electroharmonics Microsynth, you know, Van Halen. I mean, Michael Anthony and Van Halen would use them in his solos. Yeah. And I remember going, what's he using? And so I got one, awesome pedal. And then that's it. So there's four pedals right there that, yeah. that are still, I use a ton. Yeah. And then it's just go from there, boom, boom, add a reverb, add, you know, uh, a delay. Add was there a envelopes. moment where you just thought, oh, "I'm so into this. Well, I need you, to like geek out on it." At first, you think. At first, you think that you're, you know, like, "I'll have my envelope. I'll have my microsynth. I'll have my octave pedal. I'll have my compressor. I'll have my fuzz and I'll have my distortion. I'll be sorted." Yeah. And then you're like, "But this one sounds different." And then it's like, "Well, then I got to own this." And then you hear some other dude, and you go, "Oh, do you hear what that dude's using? Do you hear it? Yeah. Now you got to go get that." Yeah, you hear a chorus, and it's like that TC electronic uh, TC electronics chorus sounds like a toy now to me. It's like, oh shit! Look at this analog chorus. Look at this chorus. Look at this chorus. Yeah, yeah boom, yeah. boom. Look at this vibrato pedal. Oh, that changed my the vibrato and fretless. My Boss VB2 and fretless. It's just insane. Yeah, yeah. And now the phasers keep getting crazier, and everybody's trying to find you know reinvent the pedals. So the phasers are getting crazier. Like there's all uh, these sort of like bespoke custom makers coming out, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, look at this. Like this is a phaser. I mean, Earthquaker Devices makes one of my favorites right now, and I've just been getting way more into it. But this one is I haven't even barely scraped the surface. Look how many knobs is on that phaser. Yeah, 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 you yeah. know what I mean? It's not just like it's not this anymore. 
yeah, you know. It's, it's grown into something completely different. You know, that's what yeah. I used to do. Oh, Mars Volta. Now look at phasers. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So everybody's trying to step up the game and make you go, you know, like, hey, there's other things you can do yeah, with phaser, yeah. with the actual components. And it's awesome. So if you guys want to check out, if you're interested in effects at all, you know, Juan's the the kind of, you know, the dude to check out. Your website is pedalineffects.com, isn't it? Yes. And you've got it's super, super cool. He's also got a YouTube channel as well that you should subscribe to. Go over to his website, subscribe to that as well. I'm subscribed and just, you know, because I really I'm like a super like, you know like newbie when it comes to effects, really. Right. And I've been learning, like, loads of stuff from Juan's uh, pedals, and he's also got cool guys like Tim LeFebvre Lefebvre. hanging out, Yannick's hanging out on there. So, like, super, super cool. So go over to his site and check it out. And uh, just talk about the Mars Volta. We were talking about phasing. Like, we were watching, talking we, we've got the team here as well, and we were watching um, some clips on on, uh, YouTube this morning. All of the drummers from the Mars Volta were just, like, freaking awesome. Like, just, you know. For sure. Was that... Like, what was that like as a bass player to play with, you know, those guys? Did you have to, 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 like, take a different approach with the different guys that were playing? I think so. I mean, you know, when I joined the band, you know, John was a drummer, and I was super intimidated. And I remember calling up a friend of his and who knew him, and I said, hey, how good is he? And he's like, he's, he's really good. good. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so I was super intimidated with him. And then, you know, my first day of audition, you know, he just played and we kept playing and I couldn't get a read on him, couldn't get a read on Omar. I had no idea what they thought. Is this when you were auditioning? Yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, like I was a, like the first guy there at the, at the rehearsal place. And then at the end of it, you know, I asked Omar, you want me to take my gear? You know, I'm just figuring they were auditioning other dudes. Yeah. And he's like, no, you can leave it here. And then I thought for a second, like, do I want other dudes playing through my stuff? Cause all my stuff was vintage. Yeah. And I want, so do you, you turned up with all your, pedals yeah. you were like this is i, did, this I is had it. some pedals but mainly i had like a, a, a like early 70s svt with that cabinet and yeah. so and i was like well whatever you know i'm, I'm not going to take it i just whatever he said leave it here i'm going to leave it here so i split and then i come back the next day and again i'm the gear is set up the same exact way and i'm like thought to myself man are they not auditioning other dudes yeah or, I, I didn't know what was happening and then so then the second day the second audition wasn't as good and I think it's just because I was overthinking and then, you know. Yeah, because auditions are stressful yeah. situations, right? Yeah. yeah. And so like then. Microscope. Over right. Here, you know, totally. Yeah. And so then Omar, you know, I went up to Omar and I said, I'm, you know, I'm really not sorry for not getting that part today and I'll, I'll work on it all night, you yeah, know, yeah. if you let me come back. And he's like, or something like it. And he just said, I go, you know, I go, I'll definitely get it down. And he goes, you better get it down because we're, you know, your first show's on Friday. And I was like, this was like Wednesday. And I was, was like, that? what? So then I knew I was in the band and then, but yeah, John just intimidated me. You know, he was really, really one of those dudes that, that just plays with so much fire. And eventually, like if, I think the first few months I didn't play totally great with him because I, I was intimidated with the whole situation, but also he's, you know, like it's, he's so good. And it, and I just, I don't know. And then eventually I started playing really well with him. And then eventually I was like, I don't think there's a better rhythm section doing what we're doing at this yeah, point because yeah, yeah. he and I grew up in the same music. Like yeah. he, he listened to a lot of the, the East coast music that I was into, like Fugazi or, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, yeah, we, yeah. we had like nation of Ulysses. We had a lot of bands that we liked and then we both loved touch and go bands. So we Brainiac to Jesus lizard, 
you know, so we had this really common ground as well as the Zeppelins and all that. And so I think we played great together. I I still think out of all the drummers, he and I played the together the best favorite, yeah. and then uh yeah then you know then when he leaves that's a big shoes to fall uh, to fit and so i had heard of this dude d'anthony parks and i told omar you know we should Who's check this dude ferocious out ferocious player like ferocious guys right. you gotta check this guy out if yeah you amazing and he plays in omar's band as well right the solo yeah, stuff yeah. so he he um he i i had heard this record called asteroid power up and so i would play it for omar i'm like this dude so even though we had an interim drummer, and was that, he in LA as well? No, he's in New York. Oh, okay. And so uh, you know, Omar would come on the tour bus, and I'd play it, and then he'd go, "Who is this?" And I'm like, "That's that dude D. Get him. He's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, the yeah. one." So we had him in the band for a couple, mu- a few months. I don't remember whatever it was, but he couldn't do it because he was doing his own band. So then I had heard of Thomas Pridgen through Mike Varney of Shrapnel Records, of all people. Oh, was he on Varney? Yeah, well, Varney's yeah. the one who who told us about him. And we called him up, we flew him down, and those dudes loved how, how his energy and yeah. everything. And so he was in the band for a couple of years, and then Dave Elich was in the band for a couple, like, I don't know, a few months maybe. And then we got D'Anthony back, which we were all super stoked. Yeah, and yeah, so then, yeah. then, then the band, you know, dissolves. But, yeah, yeah. you know, throughout it, yes, we played with great drummers in, the, in that the yeah, they're, they're all sort of like amazing their own right. I just love the interaction between the bass lines and the drummers and just, right. you know, and sort of like how you guys sort of like feel it out together. But yeah. You should see the list we called, man. We called a ton of dudes trying to fill the, you know, Abe Laborio Jr. almost did a tour with us. I, cause he's a really? good, yeah, yeah, he's a good yeah. friend of mine and yeah. he wanted to do it and then he was moving. And he's like, dude, I, I know I said yes, I could do it, but I can't cause I just bought a house. Yeah. So he couldn't do it. Gary Novak, who very famous drummer, played Chick Corea. He's just unbelievable. On he, but he had a really high paying gig, and he's like, "I want to play with you guys, but I can't because I got this gig that just pays me so much money." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, we weren't going to pay him what he yeah, was yeah. anywhere what he was making. Um, he, he'd be surprised. We, I, I, I wrote an email to Vinnie Calieta. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got it. I, I saved it, it. When you're talking about that, were you the guy that was kind of punting the drum, the drum yeah. to the band? Yeah, because, because I played bass, play, yeah. and, and and Omar trusted me to find because I found D'Antoni, yeah. you know, and I found Thomas, and then it was yeah. just like, well, then you you find their replacements. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Vinnie, I knew could do. It. I mean, Chad Wackerman, who was in Zappa's band. Yeah, I, when he was we, like 18. Yeah. 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 Brooks Wackerman, we 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 contacted him. I mean, we contacted everybody, and either they were too busy, or you know, maybe they didn't, you know, really want to take on that gig because it's yeah, not yeah. the easiest work. And it's so, insane. It's yeah. insane. It was like I don't know how long it would take to learn that shit. Right. So, but we were lucky, man, and 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 really, I you know, it's I, I count my blessings because like I I got to play with some of the greatest drummers for sure. Yeah, like I absolutely love the drum. I love the band, you know. What are you doing now? What projects have you got? If somebody wants to check out sort of like any musical projects that you've got going now, where should they go? Um, I'm, I just put up a, a sound bite, like a 30 second one, but I have a band with Mark Julian, another unbelievable drummer. And he's drumming well, on it. something about you. Oh, <laughs> I mean, they, 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 you know, like they're just really cool people. He's, yeah, he, yeah. he came to a Mars Volta show and we just hit it off. And then we were just like, we should do something together. Cause yeah, you know, yeah. most of the time you just got to click with someone. He's ferocious. And so, ferocious, you know? and so we, um, you know, we, we made the, made this record with him and this girl who's from Japan. Her band's called Buffalo Daughter. And so she's on guitar and, and does some synth stuff. 
I play bass and some synth stuff and a lot of pedals, and yeah. Mark played drums on it. So that's called uh, Halo Orbit, and we're hoping it'll be out early next year. Um, we're getting it mixed. I think we have like two mixes left, and then we're oh, mastering okay, yeah, it. Yeah, we're done. So that I'm doing that, working on another Big Sur record. Actually, Lisa the Singer is flying to Vermont tomorrow to write her vocals and get them done. Oh, okay, so. Okay. That's awesome. And then um, I'm still in Deltron 3030. Got some shows coming up. Yeah. Um, I'm doing, um, I, uh, I did this thing called uh, Got a Girl with Dan the Automator who created Deltron and Dr. Octagon. Yeah. He and I go all the way back to Dr. Octagon because I was in that band. But, um, but yeah, just doing, I love doing Deltron because it's hip hop, you know. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's super right fun. Street, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I've been working recently, I've been working with this uh, rapper named John Wayne, who's also an unbelievable producer. And we, um, we actually had a song placed on um, The Walking Dead's new series. Oh, wow, yeah, wicked, yeah. So, like, I, we were on the second episode, which was like 8 million people yeah, watched yeah, it. So, yeah, 8 yeah, million yeah, people yeah, heard yeah. something I'd played on, which yeah, is pretty yeah. awesome. Um, but Anderson Pack raps on it as well as John, and Anderson Pack's the guy who's all over the new Compton record. Yeah. So doing a lot more hip hop. I just did this session with uh, this guy Damo from uh, Odd Future. We did a session with him for a track for him and some interludes and stuff. So, so I'm getting more hip hop work. Yeah. yeah. I'm not on, Mike yeah. Elizondo yet, but I'm working yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in terms of gear, because I'll get told off. I'm yeah, like sure. bass, bass geeks, bass geeks, as I am. Um, what's your sort of like go-to amp? What's your go-to bass? Ampeg always, without a doubt. Yeah. I love that VR. Actually, that VR existed because the original, not the original owner, but the previous owner of Ampeg is this guy, Ted Bloom. And Ted hit me up and said, uh, what would you like to see us make? And I said, oh, the blue line. Because yeah, I, I used yeah. to own one. It was yeah. the best sounding head. So then that one is if you want to, Turn it around. We, we can always do it later. But behind it, it's the the serial code is zero 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 two. Right, and I called him up and I said, "Who got zero 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 one? Because I want that one too." Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "I got that. I'm cheap. <laughs> so he has zero 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 one. I have the two. Two's good enough, but yeah. two's good enough. But that head sounds unbelievable. And actually, we're we're jumping it. Like you can see right here, we're jumping it. That's Jonathan Nunez from Torch. Yeah. Um, came in and I interviewed him for my site and he showed me to do this and it sounds even better. So now. what is that? What is that? You basically take um, one channel and you jump it. So you're basically using, you can use both channels to EQ your instrument. Yeah. So you can use this and this. So I'm using both. I'm not touching the settings at all. This is what he set it up as and every time I plug it in, it sounds awesome. But you just, the, this is this is channel two Yeah. and then this is the bright and you just jump bumper it as he said. Wow. And it's, it sounds. I've never seen this. I've been playing years, and I've never seen this no, I've never until seen he that. did it. Yeah. And, and then now people are like, "Oh yeah, you never did that." Everybody does it. I'm like, never heard of it. So yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, you yeah. learn something every day. But yeah. um, that, and then I do like the solid state heads that they make. I use these eight uh, hundreds. They just, oh yeah, the little yeah the little I like dis- effects, I like fuzz yeah. and distortion in solid state heads. Um, I like them in that as well, but it's a different sound. So I do love solid state stuff as well. But Ampeg, this cabinet, Tim from Rage Against the Machine gave me this one. He had a bunch of them, and he's like, dude, I got awesome cabinets that they just sent me. You got to take one. Yeah. So that's still that one. Never blown a speaker. Same speaker, same cabinet. Um, and then, I, you know, I use tons of bases. Now, I used to just use Fender, but... You get bored of that. I get bored easily. So yeah. I play, you know, this is like my 73 Fender. Um, I have fretless Fender, jazz Fenders. 
Um, I have hollow bodies made by Guild. I have uh, these uh, Italian bases called Goya Panthers oh, that yeah, I love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what I use in Deltron. Um, I use this landscape acoustic bass. Framus at the point, uh, not Framus, uh, Warwick at the point right now, we're discussing of trying to get me a, a Jonas Hellborg bass. Oh, right, yeah. Which I would was be awesome. hanging out with Jonas last week. So. Dude, he's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's he's unbelievable. He's a, he's a super supporter of me, even though I don't think he knows my music or anything. He doesn't care. We just hit it off. He's just a cool dude, man. And I'm trying to get one of his basses from Warwick. So yeah. They are heavier than the earth. Have you, have you picked one up? No, the hollow body. Yeah, man. It, it's heavy? Heavy. I played it. I didn't think heavier it was heavy. than the earth. <laughs> it wasn't heavier than this. It's like 11 pounds. Oh, shit. I, I'm gonna, I can't pick it up because... Is maybe, it all wrapped up? Here, hold up. Let me, uh, let me grab this. There's no way I played it. It's not is heavy. Is this super heavy? Oh, super heavy. That's what, yeah, about 12 pounds, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I had a jazz bass, 70 jazz bass, it was like that. I had, a, I had one that was heavy. This is where that. the bad back's coming from. <laughs> yeah. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, My yeah. shoulder is permanently damaged. I have had tendonitis from, from the weight of this because, yeah. like, Tendonitis isn't from this. It's the fact that your nerves not shooting enough in energy in it, you know, electricity yeah. impulses to play. So then it fatigues and it, you know, gives you tendonitis. But it comes from here because the weight impinges your nerves from your neck going into your hand. And so I had for a while. I would wear these belts. I still have a few, but like a weight lifting belt type thing. Yeah, you yeah, you yeah. strap it on and then you put the base and you strap lock oh, the yeah, base yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it takes the weight off your shoulder it works. It on a, yeah. works great i for years in mars volta i used it because i was having tendonitis problems you know wow. because i you know you can't have a 13 14 pound instrument on your shoulder and for three hours and not do anything yeah yeah, 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 yeah repetitive yeah. stress sure, and we were rehearsing for you know eight hours a day and then go play every night or almost every night yeah it was you're going to Pay the piper. Yeah, man. Like, like uh, obviously, a lot of my friends are pro musicians, right? And it's rare that I actually meet one that hasn't had sort of like weird, sort of like you know, medical issues, tendonitis, sort right. of carpal tunnel, and all that right. type of thing. You know, right. I think it just kind of sort of like comes with the territory. <laughs> Unfortunately, if you're our bodies, our that bodies much, yeah. aren't made to do yeah. that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, other than that, dude, like, where can people find? I know I said it before, pedalsandeffects.com, but where else have you got a Facebook page? Where can people find you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on um, Instagram. My Instagram seems to be what everybody really loves. Get me into Instagram. Yeah. I need to get into this. I just, you know, I'll put sound clips of me playing or I'll put sound clips of a pedal. I'll, you know, Instagram when I'm eating. I'm into food, I'm into bikes, and I'm into you know music and so those are the things you see on mine yeah. so if you're into that come through my instagram but i'm on instagram pedalsandeffects.com you can email me uh just just go through the site you can you know fill out your email and i'll i'll get that as well but i'm pretty easy to get on I mean, this is modern day just google you'll figure yeah, it out yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah so ladies and gentlemen or dudes and dudettes juan Alderetti, you're an absolute star awesome. mate thank, thank you. you cheers man thank you guys Okay, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Huge shout out to Juan for letting us go and hang out with him. I just can't thank him enough. Again, all the websites and things that were mentioned are on scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode eight. I've put a ton of links on there for you. And I've also put some videos on there as well. So you can check out Juan playing with Racer X and the Mars Volta. You've got to check out the Mars Volta. It's got uh, Thomas Pridgen on drums, who is just the craziest drummer you have ever seen. Um, so go check that out at forward slash episode eight, okay? 
Um, also, remember, if you're an Academy member, you can check out the entire video version of that interview as well. But if you're not an Academy member, you can go and grab a 14-day free trial at scottsbassessence.com. Now, next week, we've got a bass player who I met in Germany, lives in... No, let me get this right. Met in Germany, comes from Ireland, and lives in LA. Yeah, that's right. So I met her in Germany. I actually met her at the the Warwick. Warwick every year have this big bass event thing that all the bass players go to. It's in the, Actually, it's in Germany in the middle of nowhere. It's quite a bizarre... It's a great thing to go to, actually. It's bizarre because it's just in the middle of nowhere. I think it's like a five-hour drive from Frankfurt, which is always killer. But yeah, so I met um, I met her out in in Germany at the Warwick Bash, and then yeah, and she lives. No, she comes from Ireland and then lives in LA. But it's it's Tanya O'Callaghan. She's played with and jammed with, recorded and toured with dudes such as well. She was on tour with <clears throat> Michael Flatley's. Lord of the Dance show for a long time, and she's played with guys like Maynard James Keenan from Tool, Orianthe from the Michael Jackson band, Ronnie Wood from, well, obviously, the Rolling Stones, a ton of people, and I'll tell you more about that next next week in episode number nine. But Tanya, I really wanted to hook up with Tanya because she's just, she's super interesting. She's had a really interesting, she's got a really interesting story about how she got into it all, and and she's she's out there doing it, you know. She comes from Ireland, but she's out in LA doing her thing. And I just think it's a really interesting story and I think really inspiring as well. So I can't wait to share that with you next week. So other than that, guys, take it easy. And as always, I'll see you in the shed and look out for episode nine coming next week. Bye. <laughs>